Welcome to What the Fab, a fan's first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I am here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this wonderful game a bit while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main event. Today, we're talking about this season's wild fab market and how to navigate it with Brett Ford. Brett has a series of awesome columns each week about FAB at Pitcher's List, looking at insights and advice. And we are both participating in the same TGFBI league this year where I'm going to need his help and insights to get back into the thick of it because I am right in the middle of the pack in our TGFBI league. But we'll get into it. You can find him at, at Fade That Man on Twitter where he is sharing all of this great advice and news. Welcome to What the FAB, Brett. How's it going? Thank you, Sarah. Pleasure to be here. Um, things are good. Uh, the Orioles are currently winning, or at least they were as, uh, last I checked. So that's always a good thing. Um, my TGFBI team has a healthy starting lineup, which is uh, more than I can say for uh, the first few weeks. So uh, <laughs> things are going pretty good. Yeah, I've got guys who are playing in all of the places I need to roster them, but th that's about it right now. I'm waiting for a few people to be healthy again. Please, Tyler Glasnow. I, I don't know why I drafted Tyler Glasnow, by the way. That was silly on my part. I know better. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just hold him for a few weeks. And every year that I do that in an NFBC league, I kick myself for about a month and a half, and I did it again. Um, so now I'm just praying that I can get him back because, frankly, he's better than anything I could hope to find on the waiver wire right now. Yeah, Glass now is uh, – I have one share of Glass now. It's in an uh, auction keeper league. I drafted him for a dollar last year, kept him this year. I was like, he'll be back. It'll be fine. And I'm still patiently waiting with him in one of my IL slots. So um, I feel your pain. At least you did it in a league with IL slots. I did this in the NFPC format, which I know is dumb. Every year, I, I'm like, I'll just stash one guy. And every year, I am wrong. Don't try to stash guys uh, in the NFPC. But uh, that is news for another day. That's for draft season. Um, let's do some news from around the league. And, you know, right before we jumped on here, we're recording on Tuesday night. There is drama, drama, drama in this Yankees-Blue Jays series We've got Judge glancing to the sidelines and Toronto throwing a fit. Domingo Herman just got tossed for a sticky step violation. And the video on this is wild. I, I guess there's a couple of implications here. And, and the most obvious one for fantasy is that Domingo Herman looks like he is headed for a 10-game suspension. I have no idea who the Yankees are going to call up. They already have Brito in the rotation. What are you seeing in this Yankees-Blue Jays series? Well, it's... Uh, I it's, it's a rivalry. I mean, I, I, there's no other good way to put it. There's, it's a rivalry. Um, these teams don't like each other. Um, it's refreshing to see, uh, <laughs> you know, other teams besides the Yankees at the top of the AL East, uh, as a, as an Orioles fan, I'm, I'm thrilled that, um, there's some, uh, variance in that division, some, uh, some, uh, parody throughout. So super pumped, about that as far as the series goes uh i do think the judge thing was a little overblown um but this herman thing uh if there was one pitcher that you had to ask me to pick throughout the entire major leagues to be like who's the most likely to get a sticky stuff suspension i would probably list off domingo herman uh within the first two or three you know i was at the game at yankee stadium where he got checked a bunch of times um and did not get ejected, but had like a perfect game going with 10 strikeouts. And then all of a sudden was hittable again um, earlier this season. I think you pointed out before we jumped on the air that this is the first sticky stuff ejection that does not involve Bill Cousy, which is notable in and of itself. And they didn't even give him a chance to wash his hands or anything else. There was none of this like with the Max Scherzer, like wash your hands, come back, it'll be fine. They were just like, just go, just go, be done. Uh, I... You know, more than anything, I just really don't know who the Yankees are going to put in their rotation. They might have to bullpen a couple of games. Yeah, or, you know, make Carlos Radon throw with his opposite hand or something. I don't know. <laughs> they're they're struggling. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're maybe the only team in the major leagues whose starting rotation is more in shambles than the Houston Astros. Indeed, although I'm watching the Astros just kind of demolish the Cubs at the moment with their starting rotation in shambles. And, and that's partially on the Cubs for not having a great offense. But we, we can talk about the Cubs in a second. Let's talk about some of these injuries, though. You mentioned 
Uh, Houston, they lost Luis Garcia for the year. Jose Urquidy is gone for God knows how long. Michael Brantley had a setback. At least Altuve is rehabbing um, and doing well at the moment. I do like some of the options that Houston has called up. I'm a pretty big fan of JP France. Just picked him up in Tout, War Tout Wars. What do you see from... No, I did not pick him up in Tout Wars. Did I? I picked him up somewhere over the weekend. He was like second on my waterfall. Might have been Tout Wars. I honestly cannot remember. Um, what do you see from the options Houston has to call up for their battered rotation? Yeah, uh, between JP France and Brandon Belak, they've been really strong uh, with their depth, kind of surprising amount of depth. Um, I know there's probably fantasy managers, more like dynasty managers out there that are clamoring for Forrest Whitley. Um, of course, that's, you know, going on four years now that we've been doing that. So, um, but uh, the, the depth in Houston is surprising. Um, and it, they'll have an advancement of riches when these guys come back, you know, McCullers or, or Keedy, if he comes back, um, Garcia, all those guys. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how kind of the rotation shakes out and how that depth works itself out uh, the rest of the way. And I just double checked. It was Tout Wars where I picked up JP France. I, it's You got to forgive me. The waterfalls have been wild with all of the starting pitcher injuries, with all of the guys getting called up. I mean, we had Yuri Perez, Fabapalooza last weekend. JP France, I think, is a great guy to have in those waterfall bids as well. But it's not just them. You know, the Tampa Bay rotation, they just lost Drew Rasmussen. The Atlanta rotation lost Max Breed and Kyle Wright. It has been pretty disastrous for starting pitching Across the board, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. Are you just like buckling in and praying that you can keep some guys who have an ERA under 4.5? Or, or what's your plan, Brett? Uh, just hope. You know, lock them <laughs> in and hope. Um, you know, just trying to I, – I think I told you I, I one of my waterfall bids, I accidentally um, dropped, dropped a position player for a pitcher. I put that in the outline for later. Um, and I'm kind of looking at, I'm like, that's not necessarily a bad thing to have more pitchers on my bench considering the way things are going. So, um, I, I kind of, you know, I accidentally stocked up on pitching, but I think it's probably for the best in the long run. So it, it may stay that way. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. And in fact, um, in Glarf, which is part of the earth network, Last week, I wound up just stashing uh, Vince Velasquez, who is on the IL, but it looks like he's on the IL and coming back quickly. And I was just like, you know, I, I need guys who can throw innings at this point in time. And a $2 Vince Velasquez was better than what I was going to get from Luis Garcia for the rest of the year, which which is nothing. So you got to do what you've got to do. One guy who is coming back who I doubt is on many people's radars unless you're in a 15-team league or maybe in an NL-only league. Kyle Hendricks looks like he has made a couple of good rehab starts for the Cubs and Hayden Wisniewski was sent down to Iowa. So as much as I love Hayden Wisniewski in a dynasty format, and he will probably get a call back up at some point this season. Drew Smiley is not known for robust innings. Jamison Tyon has been struggling, but um, what do you think about this Wisniewski Hendricks situation? Any interest in Hendricks and anything other than 15 teamers or NL only leagues? Certainly not immediately. Um, Kyle Hendricks is one of those guys that especially, um, these days, I, I kind of need to see him. Uh, I, I need to see his pitch mix. I need to see his usage. Um, you know, I know he's gonna. I know he's gonna rely on that secondary stuff. Obviously, he hasn't relied on the fastball um, throughout his entire career. So I just kind of need to see the pitch mix. Need to make sure that uh, he's not going out there and hanging sliders and and um, you know whiffling changeups or anything like that. And then uh, maybe after like a, a start or two, a turn or two through the rotation, um, if he's looking solid, I'll, I'll absolutely snatch him up. But it's I'm, I'm kind of in a wait and see on Kyle Hendricks. He's he's burned me in the past. Um, so that could be some bias showing, but uh, definitely a guy I want to wait and see on. No, he's a guy I want to wait and see on, too. I mean, the home run issues the last couple of seasons, even when he was healthy, were definitely something that gave me pause. I don't know how much of that was the ball, how much of that was the circumstances, but I agree with you. I am in a wait and see mode on Kyle Hendricks, too, even though even though as a Cubs fan, I, I obviously love him. Let's talk about some of these position player injuries really quickly. One that is breaking my heart. If you listen to last week's show, you know how much I love Yandy Diaz. And I was taking a victory lap on all of my Yandy Diaz shares. And, and Yandy Diaz uh, is hitting the IL. Who do you think is going to fill in for Yandy in Tampa Bay? Well, 
I don't know if they even need to go far. Taylor Walls has been outstanding so far, so they could just slot him uh, in a regular, you know, in the leadoff spot at third base, first base, wherever they need him. Um, but really a combination of Walls and Luke Raley uh, in that corner infield slot could get the job done. Um, it would be really cool if they brought up Manzardo. I don't know if they will, but it would be really cool. Um, but I think that's just wishful thinking. I agree with you. It would be really cool. I don't trust the race to do that. And I should correct myself. Yandy is not hitting the IL. He is still considered day to day um, with that issue though. So keep an eye on Yandy and please, I would love to get him back for my Friday NFBC leagues. Uh, Nico Horner is, looks like he's going to just spend the minimum amount of time on the IL with a hamstring injury and Cody Bellinger, both guys who are off to like just screaming hot starts, this season, Cody Bellinger had an awesome catch that immediately turned kind of problematic when it looked like he might have twisted his knee a little bit in that Cubs opener against Houston. He is day to day at the moment, so hopefully no huge issues there. But it looks like uh, Christopher Morrell is going to get some run while both of those guys are on the IL. And they also called up Miles Mastroboni. I imagine more interest in Morrell than Mastroboni. <laughs> well, I was kind of looking at Mastroboni as a reliever. Um I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that they didn't pull up Velasquez. Uh, Nelson Velasquez, with his cup of coffee earlier this season, looked really good. Um, So I'm a little bit surprised they went back to Mastroboni instead. Um, But yeah, no no real interest there. And uh, speaking of Horner's injury, with it being a hamstring, um, I'm a little bit concerned about his speed. uh, Not not the speed going away, but maybe the the frequency of stolen bases. Um, potentially going away. Oh, you're speaking my language. Uh, Nico Horner stole 11 bags in like the first month of the season and looked like he really had just free reign to run. He's been doing a thing too where he runs circumstantially. So it's very much like once the pitcher has thrown over once, Nico is going to take his chance and go and he's been really successful at it. But I could not agree with you more. I also have concerns that he is not going to get to run as much in the immediate future. He's still a useful player. He's got a, you know, more power than like a Nick Madrigal type. He's probably going to hit five or six more home runs on the season. He definitely is going to hit for average and leading off for that Cubs team. He's going to score some runs and get some RBIs, but I agree with you. The stolen bases might take a hit there for Nico Horner. And frankly, for that matter, for Cody Bellinger, Cody Bellinger has been running too. (laughs) Yeah. David Ross likes to get his guys going, uh, which is great. Um, but I feel like it's kind of dropped across the league. I don't know if pitchers are figuring out the pitch clock um, stolen base dynamic kind of league wide, or if it's just something that I'm seeing anecdotally. Um, But I feel like stolen bases after that first month have, have certainly started to hit kind of a swoon. Yeah. Speaking of the pitch clock, the most interesting thing that I saw in the pitch clock and shout out to ESPN Sunday night baseball. I have given them so much grief over the years with their broadcast, but I do like the crew that does the call now. They had a really nice bit of analysis on the way the Cardinals were gaming the pitch clock against Kenley Jansen that really threw Jansen off his game. And then Boston immediately lost Schreiber to the IL too. And so you kind of wonder if that's a thing other teams will take advantage of. And, And for those of you who may have missed Sunday Night Baseball this week, what the Cardinals were doing was basically keeping one foot out of the box until right about 10 seconds were left on the clock so they could flip that uh, timer advantage to the hitter away from the pitcher. For a guy like Jansen, who has a pretty elaborate windup and really does depend on timing a lot, that was throwing him off a ton, and it showed. The Cardinals were able to really take advantage of that against the Red Sox. Do you think this is going to be a persistent problem with Jansen? I mean, if I'm another team after watching that game, you have to think other teams are going to do the same thing. Well, it's certainly an adjustment he's going to have to make. Um, I mean, you look at guys like uh, Luis Garcia not being able to rock the baby, um, you know, things like that. It's it's a game of adjustments. You're going to have to kind of zig when you got to zig and zag when you got to zag. And Jansen's been around a long time, so he may be a little bit more set in his ways. But, uh, you know, he's a professional. Uh, I'm, I've got to assume that he's going to go out there and, and do what he has to do to do his job. 
I would hope so. I mean, I, he was somebody I was worried about, and he has had some struggles with timing or worrying about guys being on second. I've seen him, like, deliberately balk guys over to third before just because he doesn't want to worry about somebody stealing signs. So we'll see what happens with Jansen there in Boston. The Red Sox lost some depth with Schreiber, as I mentioned before. Uh, a bullpen that is certainly getting some reinforcements back is the Chicago White Sox, who are getting both Garrett Crochet back and it looks like Liam Hendricks sooner rather than later, which that must be the best baseball news of the season. I love Liam Hendricks. He is a great dude. Uh, and I just want good things for him, even though I am a Cubs fan. Um, do you think that the White Sox bullpen improvements could help them out? Uh, I think anything at this point could help the White Sox. Um, <laughs> I actually tweeted about that. That phone rant from a couple weeks ago was amazing uh, from that radio show uh, out in Chicago. I'm sure you're familiar, but uh, it was just uh, some fan just phoning in and basically saying just how terrible the front office has been and how it's off to a terrible start. And, you know, things are looking grim, but you know, at least Chicago will have a feel good story with Hendricks coming back. Um, but yeah, anything to, to shore up that back end, Kendall Graveman, Ronaldo Lopez, Joe Kelly, none of them have really looked great. Um, none of them have really looked that good, frankly. Um, so anything to shore up that back end, uh, will help. I love Garrett Crochet. I think he's excellent. Uh, I'm really excited for him. Um, and that frees up Aaron Bummer to maybe do something other than go lefty-lefty uh, with Crochet being a second lefty in that bullpen. Uh, and then, of course, Hendricks is one of the elite relievers of the, t of the generation. So having him back will be great as well. You know, it's interesting that you talk about the struggles they've had at the back end of that bullpen. I also have to wonder if just being able to slot down a couple of guys helps all of those dudes out, right? Like Kendall Graveman's better in the seventh than he is trying to be a closer. Ronaldo Lopez is better in a middle inning role than he is trying to be a closer. Like, I think that it'll help all of them out. Another bullpen that is dealing with some issues where there are some save opportunities to be had, but good luck trying to guess who is going to get them is the Philadelphia Phillies. It sounds like Jose Alvarado is going to begin a throwing program, but honestly, I can't even decide who to speculate on here. I've got some shares of Matt Strom, who I picked up when as a starter when he was kind of getting some run there, and he has gotten some multi-inning saves, but honestly, like I, I don't know, man. Craig Kimbrell, Gregory Soto, Sir Anthony Dominguez, pick your dude. <laughs> yeah, is Gabe, is Gabe Kapler the manager in Philly again? Like what? Like <laughs> they're they're back into the bullpen. You just you just can't figure it out. Um, I'm super excited for Alvarado to come back. I have shares of him in several places after his super hot start. Uh, I just hope that he can get right back on uh, get right back on the horse when he comes back from the IL because he was pitching out out of his mind uh, to begin the season. Agreed. One other bullpen I want to talk about, and I want to talk about the outfield here too, is the Miami Marlins. They lost AJ Puck to, it sounds like a nerve issue in his elbow. That means that Dylan Floro and Tanner Scott could each get some opportunities there and they are widely available in almost every format. So definitely worth taking a speculate, speculative bid or two there. Um, but the big bummer here is really what's going on in their outfield where they lost both Jesus Sanchez, who was on a burner, man. Like Jesus Sanchez had been tearing it up recently and Jazz Chisholm. I don't like this. I mean, like the Marlins are whatever, but those are two guys that you need in five outfielder leagues and outfielders have not been easy to come by. Even some guys who have been like platoon options, like Jack Peterson, they're on the IL too. I find it's really hard to find consistent playing time in the outfield. What about you? Who the Marlins could use right about now is a guy named JJ Blade. Um, he's looking great in Oakland. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if, People are still looking for a waiver wire outfielder. There's a name for you, but um, yeah, outfield has been super shallow. It was super shallow coming into the season. Um, and it's, you know, with the injury bug, it's only gotten, uh, you know, the depth has only been depleted. Absolutely. At speaking of ways to get some of that depth on your team, we are here to talk about FAB evaluation and prioritization each week. And Brett, you write a column for pitchers list. I absolutely love it. One of the things I like about your process is that you've got a characterization that easily tiers the available players in terms of value and how to think about your FAB investment in them, like whether they are a streamer, whether they're somebody that you're just going to that you're going to plug into your lineup and you want to spend a decent amount of money on. Can you talk through that process and those tiers a bit for people who may not be familiar with that column? Sure. Uh, so as much as I would love to take credit for the brilliant idea that is these tiers, uh, this is the brainchild of Dave Swan. Um, Dave came to me 
and uh, said, hey, I have this concept uh, that I want to improve on our fab article. Uh, we need a writer for it. And I jumped at the opportunity. Um, so like I said, as much as I'd love to take the credit for the concept, it's all Dave. Um, so what we've done is we've taken, instead of trying to give people percentages and say, you're going to win this bid at 25 out of your 1,000. No, it's every league is different. Every team is different. Um, you know, categorical needs are different. So instead of putting this kind of arbitrary percentage or dollar value on each player, uh, we've decided to go with kind of uh, almost like a Yelp review rating where it's, you know, $4 signs, $4 signs means he's an impact guy. Go get him yesterday. Um, you know, spend what you need to spend to get this guy. Uh, $3 signs is an every week starter. Um, someone who can have an impact on your lineup who uh, may not be the top fab get of the week, but uh, is somebody you definitely want to drop uh, some good chunk of change on in order to just secure that lineup spot for your team. Uh, $2 signs is like a weekly streamer, somebody like, uh, you know, a Kyle Freeland or, you know, somebody who's probably pretty readily available on your waiver wire week to week. Um, but is somebody who will look good during that week or, you know, that chunk of weeks, uh, to plug into whether it's your pitching rotation or your hitting lineup. Uh, and then one, $1 sign out of four is basically like a single digit bid, just somebody that you're either price enforcing on, uh, or looking to pick up cheap as like a speculative ad for one or two categories, whether it be saves, whether it be strikeouts, um, you know, batting average runs, et cetera. I love that. And shout out to Glarf League mate uh, of mine, Dave Swan, who is an excellent dude and brilliant uh, for his his work in bringing this process to life. I'm curious, as you're thinking about those dollar amounts, right? So you have, say, like a $3, $3 signed dude, but are you thinking about that relative to your current budget? Or are you thinking about that relative to the starting budget of $1,000? And I'm going to use $1,000 here as the starting budget, even though I know some leagues use different amounts uh, and may you may have a $100 budget. So obviously, you know, divide by 10. <laughs> uh, I typically think about it as just add 1,000 and stay at 1,000. Um, just to simplify it for my process, um, just because everybody's budget is different with, you know, my budgets are different in my two teams in NFBC. Like there's a team that I've spent half my budget. There's a team that I've spent only a quarter of my budget. So trying to find a middle ground there doesn't really make sense. So we just kind of keep it at a thousand uh, throughout the course of the season um, and kind of base it off that, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And, and I like uh, the way you dealt with that question, because I find myself, you know, you mentioned the way people talk about fab in terms of percentages. I always find myself asking, like, what what is your denominator here? Like, what are, what is your percentage of X? And because, as I think you and I both know, like, you, every, we all start the year with $1,000 and like 30% bid is $300. And that's an easy bit of math to do. But when you get to the point, you know, I was looking at bids this last weekend, I think TGFBI was the league where I had the most money available. I had like $844 remaining, but in some of my leagues, I was down to like $700. I was down to $600. Like a 30% bid off $600 is different than a 30% bid off $1,000. Now it might still be a smart move to spend $300 for a Yuri Perez, particularly if you need strikeouts or you're really looking for that type of leverage arm and you don't think another one is coming. But you need to think about that in terms of where your budget is actually at, not just where your budget started from. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, shout out to you for getting Yuri Perez in the TGFBI league this week. That was a great grab. <laughs> um, I, I was not in on the Yuri Perez sweepstakes this week. I love him. Um, I'm really excited about him. I grabbed him in a couple of other places, but um, with the absurd amount of money I had spent on the uh, rookie Cleveland pitchers a couple of weeks ago, I'm trying to dial it back just a little bit. Uh, so I've been the bridesmaid on a couple of these bids instead of the bride, um, which is fine. I, I, I feel comfortable with it, but uh, you know, we'll get into to where I spent my money and why I spent it that way uh, a little later, I'm sure. Yeah, we will. Um, and thank you. Uh, Yuri Perez was the first name that I really got in a couple of leagues. And I, you know, I'd been short on Bryce Miller. I'd been short on Tanner Bybee. I'd been short on Logan Allen. I'd been short on all of these guys and, and you know, props to you on, 
um, those Cleveland arms. I, I love a good pitcher from Cleveland. I love a good pitcher from Seattle. I think the fact that I didn't get any shares of Bryce Miller is probably my early regret of the season. And he has proven me right about regretting that every time he, he just goes out and shoves. Um, I like getting those pitchers because they have good pitching development systems, but they also have good parts, right? Like you get, a, you get to pitch half your games in Cleveland or half your games in Seattle. Like that's already a win for you. Yeah. And uh, it's in our league, in our TGFBI league, it's, you know, anecdotally, it, it, the rich get richer because uh, Weber, uh, Schwebzy was able to scoop up Bryce Miller uh, with a winning bid of 299. Um, and I'm pretty sure last I checked, he was in first place in the league and doing really well in the overall too. So uh, shout out to Christopher Weber there for, for scooping him up. Yeah, for real. Definitely killing it in our league at the moment. I want to talk about this in a practical way for a second. So I was wondering if you could talk through one or two ads, whether they were in TGFBI or in some other league that you've made this season and how this process informed your bids as you were making them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so a lot of what I've done so far has been um, based on league performance or team performance within the league. Uh, just anecdotally, we'll take a look at a couple examples here. So April 16th, we're a couple weeks into the season and I'm struggling. I'm in the bottom third of the league. My pitching is either terrible or hurt. Um, Todd Bradley is the hot name as far as pitchers go at that point. Uh, but my pitching staff was in shambles. One guy was not going to make or break my staff. Um, and I needed a lot of help instead of that one big splash. So, uh, you know, my 10% bid for Taj Bradley, was kind of a price enforcement bid more than anything. Um, but instead of Taj Bradley, I got Tyler Wells, Hunter Gaddis and Kyle Freeland for less than $50 combined. I was pretty thrilled with that to get three usable arms, um, for less than a quarter of what Tosh Bradley went for. Um, that week, I also grabbed, you know, Will Brennan for $12. I grabbed Sebi Zavala for a $1 bid because I needed a replacement catcher with Will Smith going on the injured list. So um, a lot of what I did that week was based on how just how poorly my team had been performing and how much depth I needed. Um, but then kind of on the flip side of the coin, two weeks later, uh, I had climbed back a little bit to the middle of the pack I felt like if I had a difference maker, I could really start to compete. Um, so did I overpay for Tanner Bybee and Logan Allen? Maybe a little bit, sure. But uh, I had a winning bid on Bybee for 291 and I had a winning bid on Logan Allen for 101. So I got those two arms for a combined 400. So I didn't feel too bad about it. Um, but those are kind of the difference making arms I felt like I needed in that scenario. Uh, guys who I thought could help immediately with ratios, Ks, wins, um, and really get me back into the thick of things. And so far, I, you know, I'm going to knock on some wood, but it seems to be working. I've climbed all the way back from about 13th in uh, early April to um, fourth, fifth, somewhere in there at the moment. I don't want to, you know, <laughs> I don't want to jinx anything. It's it's pretty volatile still at this point of the season, but uh, currently in fifth, so I'm feeling pretty good. It is super volatile at the moment. I think we're fifth and sixth right now, or we were when I jumped on to record this. We could be like in totally different positions by the time the show is over, let alone by the time it goes out uh, to the masses. But I, I love that. And we're going to talk more about that in just a second. So you'll want to stick around after a quick break for our sponsors, because it's not just a matter of what your bid is or why you're bidding at a certain at a certain rate in each week, but it's also evaluating the market how you're price enforcing, all sorts of other things. But first, a quick break for our sponsors. All right, we are back. I, I'm going to ask you a question I've asked a couple of people now, and I've gotten some different answers. I'm curious for your take. Does the market seem more aggressive to you this year, or is it just recency bias? Because I see my Twitter, and I imagine yours too, is just filled with people every week going into fab, just like, there's no way I'm getting these guys. They're going for $300, $400. There's no way. And that can't last forever. Like the money has got to go somewhere. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I like the term aggressive uh, to describe this market. I think it's volatile. Um, and I think it's just less concentrated than what we've seen. Right. Um, so in the past, before the legislation came down from the MLBPA uh, and the major league baseball rules with uh, time, uh, 
time management with the the rookie contract management and things like that you know prospect prospects just aren't being called up all at once anymore um so managers a don't feel so inclined to save for that one week in july where all the prospects come up so they're more willing to to spend up here or there um at different points of the season and uh they're splurging on those exciting guys, those Mason Millers, those Bryce Millers, those Tanner Bybees. You know, they're able to shell out that cash um, now instead of holding it for, oh, well, those, you know, we're going to have a ton of guys coming up in July, so I'm going to hold it. Um, so I think that's kind of lent itself quite a bit to uh, the volatility and the the perceived aggressiveness of this market. Um, just the the guys coming up at different times. And we've also had a glut of, of extremely talented pitching prospects coming up and the prospectitis, the, the shiny object syndrome is, is real um, in these NFBC leagues for sure. I think it's a really awesome and smart observation about what's going on with prospects and how they're getting called up and how that is impacting the markets. I hadn't really thought about that in terms of the rookie incentivization rules, like to, that you are incentivized now to call up the guy that you think could be your best prospect earlier than you were before. And that means that we're seeing guys called up in mid-April who can be those impact bats or impact arms over the course of an entire season, which also increases their value, right? Because if you get a Tanner Bybee in mid-June, you're not getting nearly as much Bybee as you would have, as you get when Tanner Bybee gets called up in late April. Um, similarly, other teams have the same incentive to call those suits up. So it's not just Bybee, it's Bybee and it's Allen and it's Bat and it's Mason Miller and it's Bryce Miller and it's Yuri Perez. And so you're just seeing a slew of dudes who are capital D dudes getting called up early, which is forcing those bids that maybe in a previous year might've been 250 in June to be 400 in April. Yeah. And it's, you know, these guys are coming up and, and just like you said, shoving like Bryce Miller is absurd right now. Like he's on track to, to get the Mariners that draft pick compensation because he's looking like the rookie of the year in the American league. So um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that, that has changed the landscape of fantasy baseball, or at least fab bidding. Um, and it's, it's made it more fun in my opinion. You're not just sitting there counting your pennies until mid July. Um, you're able to kind of have some variance league to league because people are spending in, in different ways than they would, uh, three, four years ago. Well, and it certainly changed the way that I've had to conceive of fab for dudes that I really want. I mean, I feel like guys that I would have gotten for $136, $150 bid in years past, I was putting 190 on and not getting for weeks. Um, and, you know, I just watched Christopher Morrell went for 327 in my Tout Wars League. And I, I mean, I get it. The dude is on, like, he's on fire at the moment. He's hitting a ton of home runs. He's hitting, got a ton of, he's got a ton of steel potential. He's got loud tools. And if you're looking for a guy who could be a five category impact for you, he is a dude who could theoretically do that. Now, will he get that run with the Cubs when everybody is healthy? I don't know if he will or not, but you got to take your shot on those guys. Cause if you don't take your shot on that dude, he, you're not, you might not get another crack. It's not like Christopher Morell is going back in the pool at some point, right? Yeah. And I think it's interesting that we're seeing that not only on prospects, but also on, you know, opportunity players, players who are, who are moving into to new roles or, or perceived to be moving into new roles. Um, you know, May 7th in RTG FBI league, Michael King went for 90. Um, the running up bid, the runner up bid was 89. Uh, and I'm not sure he's gotten the save opportunity since. So, but, but he got those saves that one week, it, you know, those speculative save guys are, are popping up and, and going for mad money as well. It feels like, so, um, you know, it's not just these shiny objects. It's also, uh, or the shiny objects that we, that we see with prospects, but also the guys that have been around for a while that are stepping into new roles. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up Michael King in particular, because I feel like I have seen this type of spending for save speculation in recent years. But at this point, save speculation feels, I mean, I, I don't even know. There's so many teams who are closer by committee where you can't predict where the next save opportunity is going to come from. I mean, I'm watching two of them right now. Eh, the Astros are kind of predictable. 
Uh, Ryan Presley still is the dude, but every now it feels like Brian Abreu or Rafael Montero is going to get a shot just as frequently as Ryan Presley is. So he just doesn't feel as safe as he used to. And then the Cubs, I mean, I watch every single Cubs game. I write about the Cubs for Bleed Cubby Blue, which is SB Nation's Cubs site. And I, if the Cubs have a one or two run lead in this game, I cannot tell you who is going to pitch the seventh, eighth or ninth inning for them. And I watch this team as much as anyone. <laughs> yeah. I feel like as an Orioles fan, like we're super spoiled. We have, like not only a defined closer, we have a defined setup guy in Yenny or Cano so far this year. So um, it's one of those things where that's just super rare anymore. Um, and it's, it's showing in these bad bits, like guys are, are just dropping like flies. The, the reliever carousel is spinning so fast in these, in these NFBC leagues. It's crazy. Totally agree. Uh, let's do a quick budget check because one of the things I had Jenny Butler on a couple of weeks ago, she had some great tips for how she approaches fab, like the way she plans it out, the way she plans her waiver moves, the way that she, she has a spreadsheet. Like I, I love the idea that Jenny's just got a spreadsheet of like, this is how much money I have. And this is how much I have to save for September. And that means my max bid is this. And my min bid is that. And I absolutely love that approach. It is very orderly and process-based and all of the things that I love. And it is also the type of thinking that I engage in all the time, which is why I'm like $70 short on these bids all of the, all of the time. So I'm curious from your perspective, are you more of like a, you're going to budget it all out. You're going to treat it like a spreadsheet. You've got a list and you know what you can do, or are you kind of just flying a little bit more by the seat of your pants, doing something a little bit less rigid? What's your plan? How, how do you operate and manage your budget over the year? No, I am flying so much by the seat of my pants. Um, I I only have two NFBC leagues, so I'm I'm a little bit kind of able. I I should be able to organize in a spreadsheet like Jenny does, but I I'm just not that kind of you know. I I don't know. I don't have that kind of mind. My mind doesn't work that way. So uh, a lot of my spending is based on team performance. Like, do I need a better team? Do I need to improve? You know, do I need to improve categorically? Do I need you know, what are my needs and where can I find them? Um, and if I need to find them for cheap, great. And if I don't, you know, spend that money, baby. It's, it's, you can't take it with you. Um, <laughs> I, ideally like pie in the sky, I would love to have between 500 and $600 at the all-star break. And then between 200 and $250, uh, September 1st, especially if I'm pushing for, you know, a first place, second place finish. Um, now, I say that and I only have $362 remaining today in TGFBI. So, um, you know, do as I say, not as I do, I guess. I mean, I think we all wind up in those situations though. I, I think I bid 224 to get Yuri Perez. I pushed myself over my $200 comfort zone because I had $844 going into this weekend. And I was just like, whatever, I'm not going to drop that hammer some other time. I'll do it now. I need the pitcher and I'm just going to see what happens. So I think that we all kind of, adjust as the season goes on. And I, I have less fab in pretty much every league I play in this year than I usually do at this time of year. But I think it's partially just the market. And it's part of what you were saying about impact rookies getting called up. There's been so many injuries that more guys who can make that impact are getting called up earlier. And, and you're you're going to miss out on those dudes. There, there's not. It's like there's like 15 more blue chip pitching prospects who are going to get called up in 2023. Like most of the best pitching prospects are here. There's a handful of guys left. I mean, it's one of those things where it's, it's just more volatile. It's more, it's, it's more spread out. Um, I mean, if you look in our TGFBI league, uh, you know, like I said, Christopher Weber, who's in first place, who's done amazing. He's second in the overall he has $145 left, so we'll see how he does the rest of the year. I don't know, but um, it, I mean, you gotta you gotta spend that money if you want to get you know if you want to win. You gotta spend that money. Uh, that's always been my feeling, and like I said, you can't take it with you. Um, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but last year uh, in August, I dropped about 400 on Dustin May just because I had like 650 left in my budget. And I was like, well there's really nobody else that's coming back that I'm going to, you know, spend this kind of money on. So like, let's just go get our guy, um, which you just have to do sometimes. 
I dropped hammers in Tout Wars and in Glarf on Destiny, and I honestly don't regret it. I mean, I was planning on doing that. I did it on purpose. I would do it again. In retrospect, it probably cost me Tout Wars because what I should have been looking at was how close the stolen base numbers were, and I should have saved that money for Corbin Carroll. I didn't do that. But it was a mis- that was a mistake in my analysis of the categories at the time. It wasn't a mistake of not dropping the hammer on the dude I wanted to drop it on, right? Like it w- that was one of those times where I should have looked at the league differently and realized that I was so far ahead in pitching that my pitching was going to be fine and Dustin May was not going to help me in the categories that I needed help in. And I was wrong. I mean, I, you make mistakes. And I took second that instead of first, and I'm going to just have to live with that. Um, but it's interesting because... One of the things that, you know, I'm not going to have a hammer like that in pretty much any league at this point in time based on the bids that I have already done. I'm also, and that makes me a little nervous. Like I'm used to being able to go into August thinking I can get one impact guy who I need to get. But this year in particular, with so many people dropping money early, one, I'm not sure anybody's going to have like that huge $350 hammer that they can drop in August. And two, I don't know who is going to get called up. And I'm sure, yes, every year somebody gets called up and they are a big deal. Like Jake McCarthy, Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson. Every year somebody gets called up that does impact your league in that way. And also, I don't know what those dudes are going to go for in August and September this year when everybody is spending like, you know, billionaires (laughs) in April and May. So YOLO. (laughs) I'm waiting for that one team who like has been inactive all season to just be like, oh, Jason, you know, Jason Dominguez is up for the Yankees, like $750. I'll take him. <laughs> Thank you. Um, for, as an Orioles fan, I really hope that impact bat that you're talking about is Colton Kowser. I really want to see that, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking for a Pete Crow Armstrong call up, but I don't think it's going to happen in this. I don't think it's going to happen this season. I think that Pete Crow Armstrong, the only way Pete Crow Armstrong gets called up, and, and this is why I don't think it's going to happen, is if, the Cubs trade Cody Bellinger and are somehow competitive in September. And I, I just don't see those two things as coexisting. So I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen. <laughs> Who knows? He's, I'm so excited for him too. He's so much fun to watch in, in spring training. Like some of the, the defensive plays he made were out of this world. I'm so excited to see him play. He made one of the prettiest catches in center field that I have ever seen in my life. And I, I actually caught some heat on Cubs Twitter for shouting this catch out because I was just like, I'm, I haven't seen the Cubs have a center fielder who could make that catch since Reed Johnson. And I was like very young when I was watching Reed Johnson play. But um, the reason I caught some flack for that was people were like, Albert Almora Jr. would like a word. And I was just like, okay, Albert Almora Jr. was not a good defensive center fielder. He dove a lot because he had to, because he ran terrible routes. And that was the only way he was going to get to the ball. Pete Crow Armstrong gets to balls nobody should be able to catch. And when he dives, he dives in a way that is not going to hurt himself. Like the ability to dive and not hurt yourself is an art. And it's an art that outfielders need. And I, I, very few of them have it in spades. Yeah, we're spoiled Baltimore with Cedric Mullins for sure. He's another one. Yes, for sure. He's a great, great defensive center fielder. I mean, watching Cody Bellinger this year has shown me what the Cubs have been missing. Cody Bellinger is an outstanding defensive center fielder. I watch him do things once a week that the Cubs have not had a center fielder who could make those plays in years. Um, I want to move away from Cubs center fielders for a second because I'm let's be clear, people. Pete Crow Armstrong is probably not getting called up until 2024. So I don't want to, I don't want to get anybody's hopes up. Who knows? We'll see. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about a slightly different topic, which is price enforcing on the waiver wire. You talked about that a little bit ago. And and you know, obviously you can price enforce um on different levels, right? Like there are guys that you feel like should be picked up. And if somebody's like a couple weeks ago, Whit Merrifield was available in my Tout Wars League. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to throw $40 on that and see what happens. Because frankly, like if I don't get him for 40, because somebody else dropped a hundred, that's totally fine. And also he's playing every day. He's going to steal some bases. Somebody's going to have him in their lineup. It might as well be me. Do you price enforce on the waiver wire? And at what cost do you price enforce? I am not an NFBC sheriff. I'm more like an NFBC meter maid. Um, I price enforce it like dollar bids. Like, like I'm, I'm down there at the, at the $1, $2 bids, just making sure like, well, I, I can't let this guy go unclaimed this week. Um, so like this past week I was on, you know, Mickey Moniak, Marcelo Zuna, and then, you know, 
ended up with Dean Kramer for $2. And I was like, this is fine. Like, I'm not going to start him this week against the Angels and the Blue Jays, but like, this is fine. Uh, so it, I, it's just one of those things where I am, um, <laughs> I'm not a high enough level player yet where I can worry about other people's teams. Um, <laughs> I, I just had to have tunnel vision and focus on the success of, of my team uh, as best I can. And I still struggle with that. Uh, <laughs> so price enforcing for me, like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's at the very low levels just to make sure that um, those fringe guys, if like I need, uh, some K's, some ratios. A guy has a couple of nice starts in a couple of weeks. I can get him for cheap now. Yeah, sure, I'll throw a buck or two on him. Um, but as far as like actual price enforcing, like or enforcing, like this guy cannot go below fifty dollars, or someone's getting a steal. Like it is what it is. If I don't need stolen bases, and and there's a speedster out there, if if Jake McCarthy figures out how to hit and comes back up, and somebody wants to grab him for twenty five bucks, like more power to you, dude. I don't need stolen bases anyway. So so interesting that you bring that up because I'm also more willing to price enforce in the lower levels, although it sounds like I'll go I'll, I'll go a little bit higher than you will. But I also find myself then worried about other people price enforcing. And so I'll find my I I I, I will overbid on dudes that I, I should not overbid on. And I, I know I shouldn't overbid on because I'll notice that, like, oh, this person also needs a middle infielder. And so I have to bump this $10. And before I know it, I'm like, I've got like a $12 Jan Gomes and I, nobody needs a $12 Jan Gomes. Like, well, I, I actually did because I had lost my catcher, to, my second catcher to injury, but still like Jan Gomes is a $2 dude. I did not need to bump Jan Gomes at all. Yeah. I, um, a couple weeks ago did the same thing. I had Wade Miley for a dollar and I was like, He's somebody's gonna bid a dollar on him. Like somebody's gonna bid two dollars. I bumped him up to like six and ended up getting him for six dollars, which is it's fine. There was no runner up bid. I could have had him for a dollar if I would have just left it alone. But you know, like you say, you go back and you second guess and you're like, Well, like I really need a start this week. I really need, you know, he's a two starter. I really need two starts this week. Like, let's just make sure I get him for that extra five bucks. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Yeah, fat bitty is so wild. And like $5 here or there is not the end of the world. The the real end of the world is when you accidentally like forget that you have set your that you you don't edit your bid. And like, all of a sudden, you're like, your, your top bid goes for your second highest guy, which I definitely did earlier this season. And you know, I'll, I'll live with it in my auction league, but it is what it is. That or, or you get the Yuri Perez, who's an outfielder for the Giants instead of <laughs> I have not I have done not that this that year. I have not. Seen nope, that this year. <laughs> Um, so penultimate question before we end the show on the question that we always end the show on, but, uh, before we get there, how deep does your waterfall go each week? And is that league or context dependent, or are you just trying to get your guys? Uh, at this point of the season, I'm really hoping only to go like four or five bits deep. Uh, they're really, if I've done it right, there shouldn't be that many guys that are better than who's on my roster. Um, now granted at the beginning of the season, I was going like 10 to 15 deep just because, you know, I still had names on my roster, like Adalberto Mondesi, like clearly there are 10 to 15 guys on the waiver wire at the beginning of the season that are better than Adalberto Mondesi. Um, but now at this point of the year, like I, I really should not be going more than four to five deep unless I have, you know, a Drew Rasmussen who clearly he's not probably not coming back this year. Um, so there's obviously a whole bunch of arms that I definitely need to replace in my rotation. Uh, so I'll maybe go like 10 deep. Oh, so I'm still sad about Drew Rasmussen, man. He put up such a gem and then it's just like, what do you mean he's on the 60 day IL? Like I, I cannot with these pitching injuries this season, it has been so rough on starting pitchers across the board. Uh, I'm starting to think if, if the injuries weren't so widespread, I would just think that it was uh, like some sort of, fantasy tout curse because the guys that were super hot in the preseason are the guys that are getting hurt. Like Jeffrey Springs, Drew Rasmussen. Um, it, it just, it, it, I'm hoping it's a coincidence. I really don't want to see the guys that are being touted across the industry continue to get injured, but we'll have to wait and see. God, I, I hope it's not that, but I, you know, I, I've heard, heard, you know, talk about this a bunch on rates and barrels. And I do think that they're part of the reason for the pitch clock is that they want to, they want pitchers to not be able to max out quite so much because pitchers have had so much of an advantage 
over the last few seasons. And if you're still trying to max out with the pitch clock, it does stand to reason that you're going to, your mechanics are going to get kind of funky. And the only options are you either lose some of your stuff and you throw worse pitches or you hurt yourself. Like your body gives or the ball gives something is going to give in that scenario. Yeah. Jack Flaherty talked all about that in the locker room a couple weeks ago about, I oh, missed that. <laughs> what did he say? I missed it. Oh, you know, sometimes I just throw my fastball at 87. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> when Wilson Contreras tells me to throw my fastball at 89, I'm like, yes, sir. No, we do not need to do the Wilson Contreras show again on this show. Although I love how they needed him to fix his catching and he managed to do it in less than a week. That was totally wild. Uh, the question that we always end the show here on what the fab with, uh, what advice would you give? And since we've been talking about fab and fab processes, maybe we'll keep it specific to that, but what advice would you give to a new-ish fantasy baseball player who's looking at this landscape and totally confused? How should they navigate it? Man, uh, if this is your first year in NFBC or some sort of fab bidding format, I'm so sorry. Um, it's This is a really difficult year to jump in on just because uh, this is not characteristic of what it has been, in my opinion. Like, it's just, it's so much more volatile week to week than it has been in years past. Um, so just do your research, find, uh, a consistent source or two that you trust, um, and just make sure that you're as well informed as possible, uh, so that, you know, you're not bidding on a guy who is day to day who might go on the IL next week, or, you know, you're not bidding on, uh, a guy who is staring at a demotion or, or struggling and, and looking that might be replaced, uh, you know, like a Jake McCarthy type, um, do your research, be well-informed and then trust your process, do the best you can and, and leave it all out there. Be able to live with it at the end of the day. Well, and speaking of sources that are trustworthy and can help you with those processes, you are writing a great one over at pitchers list, Brett, uh, let people know where they can find your work, where they can find you and what you're working on at the moment. Absolutely. I am on pitcher list every Sunday, 1130 fab insights drops. Uh, I jump into the fab or the pitcher list discord on um, Sundays from 1030 to 1130, just before the article drops for pitcher list plus subscribers. Um, and I also write the batter's box every Sunday night, Monday morning, uh, recapping hitters for pitcher list. As far as social media, you can find me on Twitter at fade that man. Um, I, I, I'm somewhat clever on there. I'm quippy and I'm usually talking about baseball or uh, maybe some basketball or football, but it's always sports. It's always uh, try to be, try to be relevant as possible, but you know how it is, Sarah. I do. And you are a great follow on Twitter. Uh, you should follow Brett and definitely check out his work at PitcherList. It's honestly really helpful. And I find the tiering process super organized and easy to conceive. It's, it's not telling you exactly how much you should bid on every individual guy, but it's giving you a lot of context to make those decisions as you set that bid amount for yourself. You can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find the show at at what the fab. We're dropping new episodes at the start of each week to recap what's been going on in the fantasy baseball world and how you can best use it to navigate to win your league, whether it's your home league, the NFBC or something in between. We will be back next week with more thoughts and about what's going on with fab and everything else until then. Sarah, Sarah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you and I really respect your work. Great job. Oh, thank you so much. That was really kind of you. I appreciate you too. And uh, thank you for joining me for the inaugural season of What the Fab. We'll be back next week. <laughs>